Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. As you take your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter 12, as we start our second week in our 40 days of prayer, today should be day 8, and you'll come across our passage this morning during your prayer time this week. That song, Move Me With Compassion, is kind of a flash-forward look to after our 40 days of prayer as we will then begin praying for our one uh, with a series entitled, Who is Your One or Who's Your One? We're working through some evangelism strategies and praying mostly for the one person in your life that you are aware of that does not know Jesus. And for 30 days straight, we're going to lift that name up to the Lord. Well, you are. And we're going to have uh, a sign out here where you can write their name on uh, that sign so we can also pray along with you and you with us. But that song, Move Me With Compassion, what a beautiful prayer that is. Not necessarily a song of worship. Did you catch that? It was more of a prayer. Um, Move me, Lord, with the same compassion you had as you looked out over Jerusalem and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that compassion took him to the cross. This morning we're talking about valuing the name of God in our prayer life, in every part of life. I enjoy listening to talk radio. You may think I'm weird, and that's okay. I'm, I think I'm weird. So we're in agreement. We found some common ground. But every now and then, you come across a commercial that talks about gold. You've heard those like gold lines, some weird company like that. I don't know. Buy gold. Diversify your portfolio. Buy gold or silver. Da, 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 da. It's never been worth nothing. I got to thinking about that tagline. It's never been worth nothing. If you go back in our own history in the United States, the gold rush of the 18, uh, 1849, um, this is not a reference to the 49ers. I despise the 49ers, okay? That's not what I'm doing. Uh, but that gold rush back then changed a lot of lives, some for the better, most for the worse. What I'm getting at is this. God has placed in us the ability to ascribe worth to objects. The ability to ascribe worth to people, precious metals, whatever it could be. And when we do, whether it's gold, silver, cars, knowledge, money, hard work, our families, our children, our futures, houses, doctors, medicine, science, the list can go on and on. Even our own future can become an idol. Social activism has become an idol. All kinds of things. So many idols in our day, as they were facing back in Samuel's day, that the end result for us, as it was for Israel in Samuel's day, is that we forget God. Or we even use his name in such a way that he never intended it to be used, which would be taking his name in vain. When we look at 1 Samuel chapter 12, it is Samuel's goodbye address. He is at the end of his time of ministry, For Israel, Israel has demanded a king, 
and this is where we'll catch up. If you will stand with me as I read from 1 Samuel chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 down through verse 25. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king." Let's pray together. Father, your word is open before us this morning, and it is a simple prayer that what we do not know, you would teach us, what we do not have, that you would provide for us, and what we are not, that you would make us for your glory and our good. Speak to us now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So there's a brief history of Israel up to this point. I feel like we just spent a whole year going through the history of Israel, but just in case you're following or catching up with us, uh, up to this point, all the other nations around them had kings, but of course Israel wanted to be like all the nations around them. They had been through hard times, they'd been through good times, uh, but the leadership up to this point uh, flows like this. If you go back in chapter 12, specifically to verse 8, Samuel begins talking to them about all that God has done, all that God will continue to do. Verse 8, he says, When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord, and he sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. You'll remember the story of Moses and Aaron, right? God's people are enslaved in Egypt. They've been in bondage for a number, a number of years, generations. And God calls out Moses at the burning bush. And Moses and Aaron together as a team will deliver God's people to the edge of the promised land. After wandering through the desert for 40 years because they didn't quite believe God all the way when they were right there looking in, they thought that uh, these people of this promised land were too big, they're, they're gigantic, there's no way we can do it. God turned them back into the wilderness to wander around for a whole nother generation until finally Joshua comes and then Joshua leads them into the promised land. But there in verse 9, Samuel says this, But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. You see what the problem is? Verse 9, you should underline it, highlight it, put a circle around it, something. But they forgot their God. They forgot the Lord their God. Yahweh Elohim, they forgot the I am. They forgot the one who delivered them out of Egypt and got them into the promised land. So what did he do? Exactly what he promised they would do, he would do, is that he delivered them into the hands of their oppressors. They forgot their God. There are three sisters living together. 
I won't tell you their ages, but you'll quickly pick it up. The oldest sister thought to herself one evening, I'm going to go draw a bath. She got up to the bathroom and started filling up the water, the bathtub with that hot, warm water. She put one foot in the bathtub and then paused and thought, was I getting in the tub or out of the tub? Well, she hollered downstairs to her slightly younger sister and said, I don't know if I'm getting out or getting in. Can you help me? She says, well, I don't know either. I'll come and see. So she started up the stairs. She got about halfway up the stairs. She paused for a moment and she said, was I coming upstairs or downstairs? So she hollered back to baby sister who was in the kitchen having some tea, listening to her sisters, getting a chuckle out of their nonsense. And she shook her head and she said, I sure hope I never forget that forgetful. She knocked on wood for good measure. Well, the sister on the stairway said, I can't remember if I was going up or coming down. Can you come help me? Yes, I'll come help both of you as soon as I see who's at the door. Not quite the same as forgetting God, but helpful. They lived, Israel did, as if God did not exist or as if he did not matter. Lots of story and history go into that statement that we don't have time to go back and cover, so that's your homework, but they lived as if God did not exist or as if he did not matter. To forget God in this moment is, is, is that he is lost to their memory or that there's a period of time where the memory of God has softened and they have forgotten what he has done. They have forgotten his covenant promises. It is most important in this moment when it speaks of that relationship between God and his people that they, they use this word that they have forgotten God. You see, here's the flip side of that is that God never forgets his people. Isaiah 49, 15 said, can a woman forget her nursing child that she uh, should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Israel was told multiple times in Deuteronomy to be careful lest they forget their God. Why? That's because the pressures of life and, and, and going forward and following God, but even just going forward day to day in life, the humdrum of life, the, the busyness of life, it causes us to lose our course and lose our way and forget God's work. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. You see what Deuteronomy says here? Keep your soul diligently. Friends, that's why we're in 40 days of prayer. It's to get that drilled into us. This is how we stay on course. We seek the presence of God daily, even multiple times if we need to. And then he says, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. This forgetfulness of God has something to do with being able to see what God was doing. It's not that God stopped. They were in his rest. They were in the, pre in the, in the promised land. But they were looking at other things. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31 for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you. you. He will not forget you. You don't forget him. Keep your eyes. Keep your heart. 
diligently. Deuteronomy 6 verse 12 says, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The warning is there. So many times in the book of Deuteronomy with Moses leading the people. But Israel's troubles were the fundamental sin. Just one fundamental sin, which led them then to violate that sacred relationship, that covenant they had with their king. Idolatry. They forgot their relationship with Yahweh because their eyes were turned outward, looking at other places. Who else can fulfill us? There must be other gods. Look at all these other nations. Look at the gods they have. In this moment of chapter 12 of 1 Samuel, it's look at the kings they have. Look how their kings deliver. Look how their kings go out and conquer. And it's leading them to turn their hearts outward away from God and to worship these other gods like Baal. See, the issue is the heart. Deuteronomy said, keep your soul diligently. Keep your heart diligently. Watch what's coming in. So what comes out is glorifying to God. We do this ourselves when we deliberately choose to give in to temptation. When we make a choice to sin as if God doesn't exist. After all, if he doesn't exist, then there are no consequences for our sin, right? It's not that we somehow become momentary atheists and we act like he doesn't exist. No, we are deliberately forgetting God. When our hearts drift from Jesus, heart drift is a major issue in the church today, which is why we're coming back to the simple practice of prayer. The reality is we do exactly what Israel had had done. We fill our hearts with so many other gods instead of the one true and living God, remembering what he has done for us, that our love, our devotion, that our commitment and our trust is in Christ and Christ alone, and yet we turn ourselves open to so many other avenues and we place our trust in so many other people or things or promises that this world throws at us. And because Israel had forgotten them, he handed them over to a series of enemies just like he said he would. That's the time of the judges. You remember in the time of the judges, the theme there is that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The lead into that is because there is no king. But in the cycle of judges, in the cycle that we even go through today, when they repented or they cried for mercy, there was God, that God would send a series of deliverers to take them out or to deliver them from the oppressors. That's the entire book of Judges wrapped up in one sentence. But time and again, God was faithful. God did not forget his people. He was able to deliver them every single time. When they sought his help, when they returned to him, he was there waiting just like the the father of the prodigal son. That's how much he loves and that's how much his grace is there. God is faithful. Israel is not. That he would rescue his people time and again when they came to him in prayer with hearts of repentance. Friends, there's always consequences when our hearts drift away from God and it's so easy to get tangled up in the affairs of this world. So the story continues in 1 Samuel chapter 12 that after the time of Moses and the time of the judges, um, this next king comes along, King Nahash. This is when they get scared They start thinking, here they come. The Ammonites are coming. This is around verse 12. When you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. 
That is when they had forgotten God. They turned to Samuel and they said, we want to be like everyone else. We're afraid of this King Nahash coming against us. We want a king like everyone else. Only a king can deliver us because look at all the other people around us. We want to be like them. It's like they're saying, Samuel, we've got our own solution. Samuel, you've led well over the years. Your sons are another story, but you've, you've done well. But now we've got our own solution. We don't want God's solution. We want our solution, and we are demanding a king just like everyone else. See, this king would be able to raise up an army. He'd be able to muster the, the young men of Israel to go out and fight the battle. He would demand the first of everything. This was all in the warning that Samuel had already given them that this is what would happen. You might remember one of the times in the judges, again, that theme, in that day there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Here it's like we have stepped backwards into that moment and here they are again, there is no king. What's wrong with us? We must need a king in order to be successful, so let's go do what's right in our eyes. The problem is, is that led them off course. They had a king. His, king, his name was God. He says it at the end of verse 12, when the Lord your God was your king, you've demanded a king when God was your king, when Yahweh was your king. He's the one reigning and ruling over you. You've just forgotten about him, but it wasn't what they wanted to hear. And so God allowed them to have a king. His name is Saul. Of course, then David comes and kind of writes the ship for a time, and Solomon after him. But even with Solomon, we find there a man with a drifting heart. It's what we do. A drifting heart will totally lead you away from the Lord every single time. An outright act of rebellion against God is what results with a heart drifting away from him. But in God's grace, he still provided a path forward for Israel. He still provided a way forward to, uh, for Israel to experience his blessing. And so the verdict is given by Samuel in verses 14 and 15. Let's start with verse 13, since this is where we left off. And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. His name's going to be Saul. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be, it will be well. And then they would break out into the old hymn, It is well. No, just kidding. Verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king, and they will experience that. That's the warning. That's the judgment that Samuel is bringing forth. That's the verdict. Here's your verdict, Israel. God is faithful. He will be faithful to what he is telling you today. You are unfaithful. Samuel is going to issue that call. And as he does... We hear this again in verse 16. Now therefore stand still and see this great thing that the Lord is going to do before your eyes. Here's how it's going to happen. He's going to call down the thunder, literally, and the rain. He's like, you don't believe me in this moment? Watch what happens. He says this, present yourselves. Now therefore stand still and see. What the, uh, verse 17. It is not, is not the wheat harvest today. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall, now, uh, you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. It's like it's that calling back moment. They got it. 
Okay, You can stand here, watch what God's going to do. Samuel prays, God sends the rain, he sends the thunder. They understand that what they have done was a sin. They understand now that they have forgotten God. Here's the process. Forget the Lord, forget his commandments, forget his goodness. Begin to think about yourself a lot. Begin to commandeer or command your own designs, your own desires, and start living them out. Then the last thing is that you forsake the Lord or you abandon him or leave him. That's what it means to forsake, that you leave him. That's exactly what Israel had done. Up to this point, Samuel has said it just as right. This is perfect. You have forgotten your God. It's not that we were supposed to remember, oh yeah, I believe there's a God, or remember that there is a creator. But it's that we are to dwell upon him. I like the way Alistair Begg said this. He says, we are to dig into the goodness of God. Dig into it, go deeper into it. But Israel chose to forget him. To remember him, to dig into his goodness, can be inconvenient. Because the more you get into the goodness of God, the more you get into his holiness. Which then calls into question when we stray off path and we sin. And yet now Samuel is calling the people of Israel to value God's name. Just value his name. Remember his name. Samuel is interceding on their behalf. They got it, at least for a moment. They get it one more time. And Samuel's response is quite significant, even for us today, what he responds with in verse 19. So all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves. They are repenting of their sin. They're confessing. We are absolutely guilty. Samuel, pray for us. Go to the Lord for us. Beg for us that he would give us his grace and mercy. One more time. Samuel does just that. He calls them in verse 20. Don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Just the sheer fact that they could still serve the Lord with all their heart shows us the grace of God. Somebody deletes you off of Facebook, right, today, social media. They block you, whatever. Just out of sight, out of mind, right? Wash your hands of it. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe they did something wrong. Maybe they're talking, spreading stuff, whatever. We just want to be done with them. We want to turn away and forget and never see them again. And yet, when Israel treats God that way, God's grace and mercy is still there. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves his creation. Friends, with, with Israel, it, it's not just the request of the king that was sinful. It's their heart. God's trying to change their heart. God has been working on their heart all along. You see, the law, if you go back to Deuteronomy, the law envisioned a day when this would happen. The law envisioned a day when Israel would have a king. And there were instructions for the king in Deuteronomy. It's that Israel is trusting their future to man, not God. Rather than anchoring their future in that relationship with God and his covenant promises, they are anchoring their future in a man. And that's where sin has come in. They've stopped trusting God. Friends, sin always begins in the heart. And that's where that slight drift gets us way off course. Old story. In 1914, there was 
course, the Titanic. But after the Titanic, there was another shipwreck off the, the, the coast of Virginia. And in that year, in that morning, there was uh, incredible thick fog off the coast. And the steamship Monroe rammed a merchant vessel named the Nantucket. It eventually sank and lost her sailors and her crew. Congress convened an inquiry about that accident. The captain of the Nantucket was arranged, uh, arraigned on charges, but during that trial, the other captain was grilled on the stand. And it came out that in that, from that captain, the one that was not on, uh, on trial, but the other guy, it turned out that Captain Johnson was navigating his ship with a compass, a steering compass that deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. Just the slightest two degrees off caused a huge accident and men lost their lives. He said the instrument was sufficiently true, according to the New York Times, to run the ship just fine and that it was custom of captains in the, in the trade of that day to use such a compass that his steering compass had never been adjusted in the one year that he was the master of the Monroe. The faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually would prove otherwise. Friends, that explains our heart. That explains why we drift off center. Even the slightest off course, a half a degree off course, And eventually, we're going to be hundreds of miles off course. The human heart has a propensity to drift. We need to be set on the right trajectory. We need a sufficient compass. And that compass, of course, I'm going to refer to is Jesus Christ. We come to the text. We come to the word. We spend time in prayer. This is how our hearts Remain focused. Let me give you some keys to keeping our hearts centered in Christ so that we can value his name properly. We need to heed the words of Samuel because they remind us in this story of how God uh, is working in our lives, working in our day, that he is a God who loves, a God who delivers, that he is holy and pure in that love, and yet he is a God who works amazing and miraculous redemption for the people who deserve no redemption at all. The first thing is this, that we need to remember this is his story. It's not our story. It's his story. You see, in chapter 12, Samuel spent time reminding the people of God of his greatness and of his work from Exodus to that day. Their story, Israel's story, is situated in God's story. Henry Blackaby spent years reminding us and experiencing God that we are to find out where God is at work and join him in that work, that God is always at work around us. It's a solid biblical reminder. It's not just a history lesson, that God is constantly at work to bring about the redemption and salvation of sinners, of which we are a part of and the worst of. This is why that song this morning is also a prayer. Lord, move me with compassion for the lost. We may may not be lost anymore, but we know plenty of people who are. And they are still a part of his story, and they need to join that story through salvation and grace in Christ. 
This is his world. This is his story, his creation. We are part of that story. And we, church, have a role to play in what God is doing. But we have to remember it's his story. Second thing is that we remember that sin is real. Look again in verse 20. He says, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yes, you have committed all this evil. Yes, you have. We are all sinners. We know that. And we know that from James's letter to the church that sin is first birthed by temptation in our hearts. Sin is not going to go away until Christ comes back. And the only way we can deal with sin is by divine help. We need God's help. You cannot deal, I cannot deal with sin on my own or on your own. That is where the gospel comes in. Praise be to God that we have good news and divine help in the Holy Spirit to help us in our time of need. We have to remember that sin is real and Satan wants nothing more than for us to fall into it and live in it and forget God while we're in our sin. Forget that there's a way out. Third thing, look to God for his gracious help. That's the way out. Divine help comes from the gospel of grace that God is loving. And he knew that we sinners would need redeeming. He does not leave sinners alone. He didn't leave Israel alone. All the while, they're in, in, in a, being oppressed. God is looking over them. No doubt, heartbreaking for them. Just like Jesus would look out over Jerusalem and have compassion for the people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And finally, in those moments of grief, despite all their sin, God would send a deliverer for them. That God would send to a distant distant country time and time again a deliverer to free his people and draw them back to himself. And finally, once and for all, he would send his son Jesus. Verse 22, Samuel said, the Lord will not forsake his people. And he hasn't. Even to this day, he still remembers his people through the cross and the resurrection. Fourth, consider and celebrate the great things God has done. We need to consider and celebrate the great things that God has done. Look at verse 24. He calls him to this. Fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. When we consider the great things that he has done for us, it helps us Do the first part of that verse, which is to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all our heart. Why? Look at the great things he's done for you. Let let that draw you back. Great things for us is the gospel. It isn't just a set of facts to know, but we encounter the, the, the wonder of God, the miraculousness of God, the unfathomable act of God, whereby he is bringing people to life from death in their sin. The greatness of God is celebrated, loved, and lived all throughout the church every single day. We have to remember the gospel and consider all that God has done for us. Fifth, stay close. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says there about the middle of verse 20, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. Stay close. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Stay close to him. The remedy to keeping your heart from drifting from the Lord is found in an understanding of the holiness of God. That is the awe and the fear of God, thus leading us to worship, leading us to service. Isaiah 6 is a prime example of exactly what Samuel's talking about, of the heart that fears God, worships God, then serves God. Samuel says, 
Worship the Lord. Celebrate what God is doing. Remember the goodness of God. Verse, uh, the sixth thing, worship what you know is truth, not what you feel. Worship what you know is truth, which is God, not what you feel. Look at verse 21. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. Worship what you know is truth and not what you feel. Idols. Always tripping us up. Don't repent from God. Don't turn away from God. That's the same word there. Don't repent from God to worship worthless things. Worthless things. We like these things because we think they'll make our life good. We like these things. We think these things will stop our life from being bad. If we can just put in A, B, and C, then the bad won't happen. We think they'll rescue us. And when we start thinking that, we're starting to ascribe worth to them. And we start seeing that we're suddenly giving our worship to them. And so what are you giving worth to in your life? What do you value? I say, like I said, if you're not praying about that, you don't trust God to handle it. Any other answer other than God and God alone, anything that is apart from Christ Jesus is worthless. Anyway, whatever that is that you're ascribing worth to, I could name a whole list of things. That's your idol. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So consider that this morning. Take account this week in your prayer time. Ask God to show you and reveal to you through his word what those things are that you're giving worth to. Jesus came to draw your heart back to God, beloved. So in Christ, we want to ascribe worth and glory to God through Christ Jesus. By his grace, he calls us back to himself in repentance. And we are called now to turn away from the worthless, worthless things uh, to worship and honor the true and living God. Finally, number seven is true, uh, turn to the word of God. Turn to the word of God. Worship what you know is truth, not what you feel. And then turn to the word of God. Verse uh, 23, Samuel there committed to pray for the people and to teach them the good and right way. You need to be very careful who you're listening to these days and who you're reading. So many have perverted the gospel to make it their own and build their own kingdom. Be very careful. I want you to be people of the Bible. Acts 17, 11. You need to be like the Bereans who are more noble character than those in Thessalonica because they received the word, it says, with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. You need to be careful. Turn to the word of God. The word of God will never steer you wrong. I'd also put a plug here that you need to invest yourself in one of our life groups or one of our Bible studies that's going on. Devotionals are nice, but they're not the word of God. Get into the word. Here's Samuel's final warning about that drifting heart in verse 25. He says, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Friend, the same is true for us. If you don't trust in Jesus, everything that you've put in his place that you think is your savior, i.e. your king, it will be swept away. Jesus will set you on the right course because heart drift is gonna produce a catastrophic consequence. 
an eternal consequence where you will be eternally separated from God the Father in a place called hell. Friends, we need in this life of following Jesus, once we come to him, we need constant recalibration. We need a sufficient compass. We need that anchor for our soul. So once we come to Christ, we still stay in the struggle and ask the Lord to constantly recalibrate our hearts. And if you will trust Jesus today, repent of your sin and allow God to recalibrate your heart, whether that's bringing you from death to life in Christ for the first time or Christian that you have turned away from Christ this last week or this last month or last year or the last decade, whatever it is, that today God calls you back into repentance and you open your heart to him one more time and let your heart be recalibrated. How do I know all of this is true? It's because his name is the guarantee. That's how I know it's true. It's his promise, not mine. I can't keep his promise. He made the promise and he guaranteed it with his name. Look at verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. What drives God, my friends, is a passion for his glory. He acts for the sake of his great name. His name is at stake, and he will not let his name be used in vain. He is passionate for his glory. Jesus would lead us to pray, hallowed be thy name. The Father delighted in the Son, Jesus, and he delights to see his Son honored. Jesus delights to see his Father glorified, and the Spirit works to see both the Father and the Son glorified in the church. He is glorified because he is a covenant-establishing, covenant-keeping God, and his grace and his mercy bring you in, and it is grace that will keep you in it. It is his grace that will take you home. He is not a God of unfinished business. He has promised to complete what he started, Paul wrote to the Philippians. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Praise God. That's an encouragement to my heart, and I pray it is to yours as well. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And we thank God that ultimately when we read the scriptures, we find there his amazing grace that calls us home. His grace that redeems us. His grace that restores us. That in his grace we now freely walk, not forgetting God, but walking into the arms of Christ our Lord.